today, we begin a new series called The Faith Test with a message tackling the question, who are you partial to? Right now, let's welcome our HSM pastor, Sawyer McKenzie. Guys, one of my favorite things to do is to come and connect to God in nature. Being from the South, you could always find me in the woods. A lot of times as a kid without my shoes on, I don't know why. I thought it brought me closer to the nature or something like that. Maybe I wanted to be Tarzan, but still to this day, getting out in the nature, whether it's the desert or going surfing in the ocean or being here in the woods again in my truck, it's just a way that I can connect to God to see the beauty and the intentionality that God put into designing this place that we call home. And I, it's one of my favorite things to do. But according to Psalms 8, his most precious creation is people. And one of my biggest pet peeves when I'm in nature, just experiencing his awe and wonder is when I look over and I see an empty Coke can or an empty bag of potato chips, it just bugs me. Like, how can we ruin such a cool thing that God does? And yet we tend to treat his most precious creation, people, the same way. We're constantly trashing and just perverting and, and judging people treating it like it's a garbage can, like it's something that's not precious, even though it is his most precious creation. Today we're starting a new series called Let's Take the Faith Test, where every single week we're going to present ourselves as Christians with some questions that's going to test our faith and see where we're at in practicing God's instruction for our lives to kind of see what we're doing if we're truly obeying and living out our faith in the way that God called us to do. And today's faith test, number one, we're going to talk all about how we treat his most precious creation, people, humanity, the people in our lives who come to our church, who we pass by every single day. And I think it's something that relates to every single one of us. Before we do that, I want to start out with a little social experiment. For everybody watching online, I want you to engage with me with this for just a second. I'm going to list out some, some rival companies or, or brands that you and I might choose between every single day. I want, to, I want to kind of figure out where you guys are at. First, Coke or Pepsi? Comment down below if you like Coke better or Pepsi better. Me, personally, I'm a Coke guy. I'm from the South. I think it's just that's just what it was. Bear Bryant always drank Coke. I think Pepsi, for some reason, we just, you know, it, it, it's a northern thing. I don't really know. I don't know how it is in, in California or where you're watching. So Coke or Pepsi, comment down below. Second one, Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts? I'm not talking about the donuts or the, or the snacks. I'm just straight up the coffee. Do you prefer Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts? Once again, me, I'm Starbucks. That's where I studied in college or, or pretended to study. I would procrastinate. But that, that was, I don't know. Starbucks, I'm a Starbucks guy. Next one, this one's a big one for me. Do you prefer Nike or Under Armour? You might not really care about this one, but I'm passionate about it. I grew up an athlete. I was always wearing those kind of clothes. Nike is my jam. I went to Alabama. Alabama's a Nike school. Their football team, basketball team wears Nike. I am Nike through and through. Last one, Disney or Universal? I, 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 rides, parks, movies, whatever it may be. Which one do you prefer, Disney or Universal? I'm a Disney guy. Grew up going to Disney World. Still haven't been to Disneyland, even though I've lived in California two years, but, but I'm a Disney guy through and through. I want to know which one you guys are at. By the way, before I even move on, Pastor Chuck, other than the Disney one, he's the opposite of me. He, he likes the Under Armour better, he likes Dunkin' better, and he likes Pepsi better, so we're going to pray for Pastor Chuck together. But, but just I, I, some of those things right there, we choose what we like for the most part based off of our opinions, our likings, our perspectives, right? Yeah, sure, there might be you know, the occasional financial decision or, or maybe location, but for the most part, like we just prefer Coke over Pepsi. That's not a fact that Coke is better than Pepsi. It's just what I prefer. Here's another random one that I want to do. Let's say it's after the fast. 
you're getting up in the morning, day off, sleeping, whatever you want to do, and you go to make some breakfast. Me personally, I'm dreaming about the breakfast sandwich I'm going to make after this fast is over, all the eggs and bacon I'm going to load up on there. But I go to the stovetop. I'm going to heat up a pan to get ready to make this incredible sandwich. What stovetop do you go to use? What burner are you using right there? You got mostly probably four decisions, front right, front left, back right, back left. If you're like me, you choose the front right burner. I don't know why that is, but I feel like most people just naturally go to that front right burner. You got people raising their hands behind the camera. I don't know what it is. They're equal, right? Maybe you have one that's just slanted and you can't really cook on, but for the most part, that's just, that's partiality. That's what we're talking about today. That's when you show you know, favoritism or you have bias towards something purely based off of your liking, your, your, your perspectives, your beliefs. Why do we do that? That's partiality and that's what we're talking today. And today's faith test is that how do we treat people with partiality? Who are we partial to? We see in the Bible in the book of James that we're going to read today, we're warned not to do this with people. In James 2, 1 through 4, he says this. He says, My brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. For if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in, if you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes, you say, hey, sit here in a good place, right? Right. Pastor Chuck's going to speak right here. So here, here's a fold-out chair for you. Sit right up front. Uh, camera's going to get you on angle. We want people to see you. So, so sit right here, right? But then if you look at the person with, with poor clothes, the poor person, you say, hey, stand over there, S sit on the floor by my footstool. We don't want you in this camera angle. We want people thinking that, you know, we're that kind of church. Haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? You see, James, the guy writing this, this book, he's, he's, he's the in-your-face disciple. He's, he's the guy, he tells it like it is. He's a little cutthroat. Sure, he's speaking grace and truth and love. But he's the kind of guy, if there's something out of place, he's going to call it out. He's not going to turn a blind eye. He's not going to say, oh, I hope they figured it out. He's going to call it out. And right here, he's writing this book to Christians, specifically Christians in the church. He's writing to us. He's writing to Pastor Sawyer. And in, in the first chapter of this book, he, he talks about how our faith needs to be reflected in our actions. In other words, it's not enough to call ourselves Christians and to go to church, maybe not even to serve at HSM or as a greeter. We need to be living out our faith in every single area of our life. Every single area of your life. And right here, he gives us the first faith test. Enter the faith test. Are we living out our faith in every area of our life or just some areas? Where are we missing out on what God is calling us to do? And this is a big one for Christians in the church. We overlook it so easily. The first faith test, who are we partial to? And in these verses, he warns us that favoritism and partiality is wrong. And that's the first thing he calls it right off the bat. Forget favoritism. We've got to move on from partiality. This is something that we cannot live with for our entire lives. He gave us an example right there, right? He, he, he mentioned a rich person, a poor person. And, and culturally, the people that he was writing to in this church, there's a lot of Jewish Christians. And it probably would have been a big deal for, for this poorly dressed peasant to come into this holy place of God, right? And there's a lot of culture there and rituals there. And they probably would have viewed someone like that. One, maybe it's invasive. Maybe it's uncomfortable. Maybe it's something they don't want at their church. Like, hey, there's another church down the road that's kind of in that, that shack. Maybe that's your place. And, and he's writing to that there. And hopefully we don't have that problem at Crossroads where we treat poor people differently than, than rich people. Maybe. I hope not, and I hope you don't have it at your church or wherever you're watching from, but maybe, maybe we do, and maybe what, what are some ways that, that this looks like in our culture today? Favoritism and, and, and partiality, what, what does this look like today? 
You know, I've got partiality in my life every single day. I, uh, I have a lot of partiality towards my coffee cups. I know that might sound weird, but I, I kind of I collect coffee cups. It's one of the things that, that I do. I, I drink coffee every single morning when I'm not fasting. Y'all pray for me. I hadn't had caffeine in a while, but, but in Jesus' name, I'm okay. But, but I have favoritism for, for my coffee cups. For instance, I got this one right here. This is one of my favorites. This is a 2015 Alabama Football National Championship mug. I'm going to talk more about this one later, but this one is one of my favorite ones. Put that right there. I also got this world's best pastor mug. Um, uh, my, my coordinator, Destiny, when I first hired her, she gave me a world's best boss mug uh, from one of my favorite shows, The Office. And, and later on down in life, when, when she and one of my other good friends, Jake, got engaged, they asked me to officiate their wedding. And they gave me this cup that said world's best pastor. So I like this cup. This got some sentiment to it. It, it means a lot to me. Um, and and I, I also believe it's true. I'm just kidding. Um, but I also like this cup. This is, this is a big cup. I like a lot of coffee in the morning. It's simple. I'm a simple guy. It's white. It's black. It's gold. It's got an M on it. That's me. Jordan, my wife, and I, we're the McKenzie. So this is, I just, I, I like these cups, right? These, these, are, these are some good cups in my eyes. I've also got some cups I don't like. For instance, I got this one right here that says, I don't know if you can tell what it says, but it says, Maid of Honor for a Day, Best Friends for Life. Um, I've never been a maid of honor. Don't plan on being a maid of honor. This is clearly not my cup. It's even got a picture of, of Destiny and Jordan, uh, my wife and her best friend, on the back of it. And uh, this is clearly not my cup. I don't like this cup, right? It's not mine. I got this one right here. This one's a weird shape. I don't understand. Why can't you just make it a normal coffee cup? Why is it a lip thing? I think the words are, why is it like off-center to the right? Just move it to the left or something. Why is it pink? I mean, so I just, you got cups that, that you like and you don't like, right? According to my opinions, my perspectives, my beliefs, these are the cups that are good. These are the cups that are bad. And what James is pointing out right here, when he's talking about favoritism, when he's talking about partiality, he's saying, hey, be careful that you don't treat people like you treat coffee cups, like you treat that front right burner, that front left burner on your stovetop. Be careful that you're not showing favoritisms to the ones that you like based off of your opinions and perspectives and treating differently or poorly the people that don't match your perspectives. You know, I think it's something that we do on a daily basis. Some of them are obvious, right? You got, you got, you got racism. Racism is an obvious one, right? We, we go around and, and, and unfortunately, our country still has that today. It, it's in the Bible and it's still alive today and that's an obvious one, right? We should not have, have racist opinions in our lives. Another obvious one might be political views, right? You see that person with a Donald Trump sign in the front yard and just assume that they're a racist, or you see that person with a Joe Biden sticker in the back of your car, assume they're a communist. I don't know what it is, but you got these political, political bias, right? You got, you, got, you got racial tension going on. Those are some obvious ones, but maybe some not so obvious ones like, like what if you're at the gym, you've been doing really good, right? You've been dieting, you've been working out, you're feeling good about yourself and you look over and you see someone who weighs 450 pounds and they're barely lifting any weight and maybe you don't even act weird towards them or, or speak differently towards them, but you kind of like, what are they doing here? What are they doing here? Or maybe it's at the church and you, it, it's an age thing. It's an age thing. You see someone, some 25-year-old goofy southern pastor speaking to something about how I need to be aware of my life. And it's like, who is this young kid? He's talking to me. I've been at the church for 40 years. Maybe it's the opposite. Maybe when I'm thinking about writing my message, I'm thinking, how do I relate to the old people? Because they don't know what, what I'm talking about. How do I relate to the people that are just kind of out of style? That's, that's partiality. That's favoritism. That's, that's, that's wrong to do. Rich, poor, skin color, political views, age, weight. Maybe it's a cultural thing. Like, I, I can't tell you how many times I've actually had this conversation since I've been here in California, moving from Alabama. Serious conversation, at least 10 times. Do you know anyone who married their cousin? I'm like, what? 
not a real thing. Or I've had people ask me, can you tell a difference between people here and there because we're educated? I'm like, what are you talking about? I went to school in Alabama. Like, what are you talking about? Or guys, actually, it's, it goes both ways as well. Believe it or not, people in Alabama, or really even, honestly, all of the South, view Californians not the way that we probably should. When I, when I told people I was going to move here, um, a lot of them were like, are you crazy? Why, why are you going to California? Um, I'm praying for LA to fall off the face of the earth because of how sinful they are. Or like, or <clears throat> it's just we, people in the South view, view Californians as, as, you know, no good druggies who need to come down to this world and understand that the earth does not revolve around them. I was even on the phone with a buddy from Texas the other day asking about the snowstorm. And he was like, dude, I'm so mad. Someone from California moved in next to me. I was like, well, have you met him? He's like, no, I don't want to. They're from California. I'm like, you got, you got the wrong assumption, dude. Maybe he's a good person. Maybe, maybe it's a family. I don't know what's going on. But, but whether it's race or age or, or, or finances or culture or gender or, or whatever it may be, I want us all to stop and think about how we're being partial every single day in our life. Who are we showing favoritism to? Who are we treating differently because we think they don't meet our standards or our beliefs or our likings. And here's why this is a big deal. Look at what James says next in verse 5 through 6. He says, Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, did God not choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he promised to those who love him? And yet you have dishonored the poor. Here's what James is saying. I got this cup that I like, right? Told you I was going to talk more about it. 2015 National Championship, Alabama won it against Clemson. It was their 16th National Championship. Since then, we've won two more, Roll Tide. But, but this one's especially special to me, right? I remember the three before it, uh, the 2009, the 11, and the 12, but this one was the first one that they won when I was in college there. I was a sophomore in college. It wasn't just someone that I watched up growing. It was, it was my school. It was my, I, I got to be a part of it. I cried when Kenyon Drake ran back that touchdown against Clemson. It was just, it was a beautiful game. This cup means so much to me. I hand wash this thing. I don't put it with all the other cups. I drink it every single Saturday morning when Bama's playing. This is a special cup to me. I believe that, that Alabama is the best school in the country, the best football team in the country. We're top 10 in the nation in basketball right now. Our wheelchair basketball team will take you down, whatever you want. I like this cup. I support this cup. I believe in this cup. This is my favorite cup. On the other hand, I've got this cup right back here. If you don't know what this is, this is a Tennessee Volunteers coffee mug. I believe that Tennessee is the biggest tragedy in the world. It's a bigger tragedy than the movie Cats. I mean, it is absolutely brutal. The, the shade of orange, it looks like a traffic cone, like change your, it's, it, they haven't beat Alabama football since 2006. I don't like this cup. I don't support this cup. I don't believe in this cup. So, so it's, I, I, it's trash, right? Like, I, like honestly, after this message, I'm probably gonna throw it away. And that's what we do. And that's how we treat some people. I like, I believe that this is a good one. I don't like, I don't believe that this is a good one. We treat them differently. But what this verse is saying right here in five through six, God chose the poor in this world to be rich and heirs of the kingdom and we disrespect the poor. So what he's saying is even though this, this is a great cup in my eyes and you'll notice that it does a great job of being filled with coffee, doing its job. That's what I like it for, right? You'll notice it does an awesome job. And even though this, this gaudy orange coffee mug over here is trash in my eyes, you'll also notice it does just a fine job of being filled with coffee. It might not look great while doing it. It might not fit my standards, but does just a good enough job as the cup that I favor. The same thing goes for people. This, this Democrat, this Republican 
this man, this woman, this, this child, this old person, this poor person, this rich person, this whatever it is, this fill in the blank that you've been judging, that you've been treating differently, that person who wears that shirt, like, oh, he's one of those, that, that, that person with that haircut or that piercing, oh, she's, she's that kind of person, filled with the same love and mercy and grace that you're filled with, designed for the same person to be fulfilled and saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, the same exact one. I view this one as better. I view this one as worse. But in God's eyes, they're both valuable. I don't know who needs to hear this today, but God loves you. God values you. John 3, 16, one of the most famous verses in all of the Bible, right? Tim Tebow wore in his eyes. If you don't know this verse, no shame. We're not gonna judge you. We're not gonna be partial against you. But one of those famous verses, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Famous verse, right? But we overlook a little detail in there sometimes. For God so loved the world. Not for God so loved the Bama Cups or the Tennessee Cups. For God so loved the Republicans or the Democrats. For God so loved this person or that person. For God so loved the world and everyone. And he created the world. He created us. He values us more than anything else in this world. And he values every single person. God loves you and died on the cross for you, regardless of how people have treated you. And regardless how you treat that person, God loves that person and died for that person. And it's that whoever believes in him, not, 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 that, not that the people who grew up in the church, or not that the Christian who has their entire life together, not the person who's there every single Sunday and has read a thousand days in a row in their Bible, that's great. But God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, even the person that's still struggling, that's fighting to pick up their life, that's hurting, that's in pain, the, the person that you see as lesser or different, God loves them as well. God wants to fill them up with his love as well and values them equally. See, God values everyone, and yet we have a tendency to only value the people that we like and the people that we agree with. And guess what? Here, here's, here's a little wake-up call. Here's a kind of sobering fact. In God's eyes, that means that we're guilty. We're guilty. Look at this next verse in James 2, 8 through 11. It says, Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in Scripture that says, Love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well, right? We've heard that, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing a good job. If, however, you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking the whole law. You can be obedient in so many areas, but in one way that you're disobedient, you're guilty of it all. He says this, I love this. For he who said don't commit adultery also said don't murder. So if you don't commit adultery, but you murder, you're a lawbreaker. I love this verse so much because he's calling us Christians out. Like, where are my church folk at? I'm speaking to you. We're these people that are doing so good in our areas, right? Or, or at least we put on that, that facade that we're, 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 we're righteous and we're doing great. And I hope you are. I hope you're striving for the Lord. And I hope he's healed you in so many ways. But I think sometimes we as Christians, we get this perspective of like, look at what God's done in my life. And because I've figured out these bigger sins, no longer am I an alcoholic or cheating on my wife or lying or stealing. Like I'm at this point and I'm proud of it. And, and great, be proud of what the Lord has done in your life. But we get this false sense of pride and we almost get to the inside where it's like, okay, we're here, we're doing good. And yet we see someone who's struggling with the same stuff that we used to struggle with or that the rest of the world is struggling with that we're not. And we judge or we, we kind of think, why don't you figure that out? Or, or, or why are you here? You're still hungover from last night. What are you doing? Why, why, what's going on with that? We, we become partial. We show favoritism to people who fit our likings and our standards and not so much the people who don't. And he's calling us out right here. And here's the thing that I want us to hear. I, I think we as Christians might have 
might have this thing where we want to overlook this message, assuming that we're fine. Or, or you're thinking like, oh, I hope so-and-so hears this message. Have you ever had that moment where like, there's, you know Pastor Chuck's going to speak a certain topic, and so you bring your friend to hear that topic? Right? Let's say next week he, he's talking about anger. You're like, oh, I'm bringing my neighbor Timmy because Timmy is always angry. He overreacts at everything. He's always cussing people out. If there's one thing wrong with his lawn, he doesn't pay those people. Like He's just always angry. I'm bringing Timmy to hear this message. Comes, here's a message. Pastor Chuck's killing it, right? You're taking notes. You're even kind of nudging him like, amen, good point, right, Timmy? Right, Timmy, good point, yeah? And you're like, he needs to hear this message. And, and after the message, Timmy, man, what'd you think? Timmy's like, oh, it was great. Pastor Chuck was awesome, taught me a lot about anger, really learned a lot. And in your mind, you're like, oh, this is great. Timmy's gonna change. I led him to Christ. This is awesome. But the Timmy says something like, we should have brought our buddy Johnny, though, because Johnny's always angry. And you're like, Timmy, this is for you, man. You need to listen to this message. It's like, come on, I brought you just for this. You know, the funny thing is, Johnny's probably saying the same, same thing about you. You're saying Timmy needs to hear it. Timmy's saying he needs to hear it. He's saying you need to hear it. My point is this. We have a tendency maybe to come and hear a message on a certain topic and just assume I've got this figured out. James is speaking to you. Don't worry about Timmy. Don't worry about Johnny. Worry about you. Guys, when I wrote this message, I was speaking to myself. Literally, I can't tell you in the past week or so since I've written this message, I have caught myself every single day saying, stop, don't be partial. I'm serious. Since writing this, I'm speaking to myself. I don't care if you've been here for 40 years, if you've been a Christian in the church for one year, or if this is your first time, I want you to stop right now and understand this message is for you. This is for you, Pastor Sawyer. This is for you, Pastor Chuck. This is for you person who is an elder at a church who's been here since way before I was even born. This is for every single person. James is calling us out and saying that this message is for you. It is for everybody. He wants us to also understand not only is it for you, this is a big deal. Hey guys, favoritism is a big deal. Notice how he says the same God who said that, that adultery is wrong also said that murder is wrong. And if you commit one, you're guilty of both. Same thing. So, so we know that murder is wrong, right? Hopefully no one watching this is, is planning to murder anyone anytime soon. If you are, talk to us, call us. We'd love to hopefully talk you out of it. But, but we know murder is wrong, right? But we maybe kind of put favoritism down lower on the list. Like it's like we got murder or maybe like adultery, stealing, lying kind of stuff. Like way down here is, is judging people or treating people differently. Because honestly, like they probably deserve it. But God's like, no, no. Adultery, murder, lying, stealing, it's a sin. We need to treat this as it's such a big deal. It's on the same playing ground as murder, as adultery, as lying, as stealing, as any kind of sin. You can be sitting next to someone who is committing every single type of sin and you're doing great in so many areas of your life except that you're judging people and treating people with partiality and favoritism. And according to scripture, according to James, according to God's ruling, you are just as guilty as that person next to you. This is a big deal. This faith test that we're taking is important. We need to stop and ask ourselves, how am I showing favoritism and partiality every single day? Who am I mistreating? Who am I judging? Who am I looking at through the lens of what I like, what I believe, my perspectives, my opinions? Because it's a big deal. We need to forget favoritism. We need to understand that it's a big deal. And then lastly, right here, he finishes out in James 2, 12 to 13. He says, speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom for judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Man, what a verse. Powerful verses, two verses right here. What he's saying is this. He's writing to Christians, once again, remember that, Christians in the church. He's saying, hey, you're different, so act like it. You're different, so act like it. See, I think it's so easy for us to be partial, 
it's natural to us because everything around us is that culture. If you look at cancel culture, one celebrity in Hollywood makes a political post canceled off that show, off that movie, you know, rewrite, uh, recast, whatever you want to call it. Um, one, one athlete says something off the team. Um, um, one pastor sins and falls short, and yes, that is awful, but canceled, no longer pastor, no longer Christian, they're probably not going to heaven. How dare they abuse that? And it's like we live in this just cancel culture of anyone who slips up or makes a mistake or does something that does not align with our culture, our beliefs, our, our values, whatever it may be, done. Even stuff that's like not even harmful, right? We just live in this culture of it's about me and what I want. Like from, from social media, I get to choose who I want to follow and what I want to see and what I want to like. And I get to block the people that I don't want into my life. And, and, and yes, you need to guard your heart in social media, but it's just, it's encouraging this, this culture of it's about what I want. Netflix, TV's off. It's like, I don't want to have to wait for the show that I like to come on. I get to choose the show, the platform that I like. It's all about what I want, what I like, what I need. But what James is saying right here is, hey, you're different. You have this law of freedom over you because Christ has set you free from this way of thinking and acting and speaking and, and just the way you live your life. You're done. You're free. I love this. Galatians 5.13. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. I love that. He's reminding us, hey, you're different. Use that, that freedom, that difference that you have in your life for good, not to do the same thing the world is doing. I love it. It's like a lot of people outside of the church judge Christians, and a lot of people inside the church judge non-Christians. James is like, don't come in and receive the love of Jesus and use, and use that freedom to turn it around and judge people who don't have it. Use that freedom that God gave you to be different. You're different. Act like it. Speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. I love that. We, we are ambassadors for Christ. He's making his appeal through us. What, do, what does that mean? That means that we are a reflection of God. When people see you, they see God. Imagine that person that you judge frequently, that, that person that you always kind of give a weird look or you purposely avoid a conversation or, or you don't invite them to church. They feel judged by you. They feel hated by you they probably also feel hated by God because they're connecting you to God. They feel hated by you, they feel hated by God. They feel judged by you, they feel judged by God. They feel ignored by you, they feel ignored by God. The way that you act and speak and think about people reflects God. And what we do and say to people will show them who God truly is if we do it the right way. If we do it, what James is saying is to not be partial and to not show favoritism. We need to make sure that we understand that we are different and we need to act like it. So ask yourself, do my thoughts, do my actions, do my, do my words reflect God's love or do they reflect my partiality, my favoritism? By the way, it's not just words and actions, it is thoughts. Romans 12 says that God renews our mind. He gives us a new mind in Christ. That means that we need to make sure that we embrace the difference, not just in, in the actions that we have in our own lives, but in the way that we think about other people and think about life and think about God's love. In 2 Corinthians, it says that we need to take every single thought captive. The moment that you start thinking with partiality or favoritism, stop and take that thought captive. In the name of Jesus, I will not be judgmental right now. I will not judge that person. God, show me your love. Show me that person through your lens. Take that thought captive in the name of Jesus. In Matthew 5, when he's talking about lust, he's saying it's actually possible for us to sin even if we don't take action. 
Matthew 5 says, says, if you lust upon that person, even if you do not act upon it, because you have sin inside of your heart, or your thoughts, you have sin inside of your heart, it's a sin in your thoughts. You can judge people, you don't even have to speak, you don't even have to act, but you can think it, and it's just as guilty. James reminding us, hey, you're different, we need to act like it. We say we're different, we say we're saved, we say God changed our life, but does he really? Like, are, are, are we really saved? Are we really different? We need to act like it. Um, I encourage us next time, every single day, honestly. Like I said, I've done this every single day since I wrote this message. God really convicted me. Do something that Pastor Chuck talked about a couple weeks ago. Be curious, not furious. Be curious, not furious. We so easily are quick to judge people and just to jump to assumptions. I think we as Christians are some of the most judgmental and harsh people in the entire world, and that is the opposite of what it should be. We so easily just see someone in sin, struggling with the thing that we used to struggle with, have someone in our life who judge us, and we're so quick to just jump into that anger or that bitterness or judgmental mindset and just be like, why aren't you different? Why are you like this? Why You need Jesus. Poor guy. You know, you kind of almost like pity, pity them. Stop. Stop. Don't be furious. Be curious. Stop and ask yourself, what happened to that person? Ask yourself, how does God see that person? Because I see it as this gaudy, orange, awful mistake of a Tennessee cup. But if I stop and I ask, you know, I'm, I'm looking at that. I'm like, okay, what is this? This is awful. It's orange. What does God see them as? God sees them as someone who's meant to be filled by his love and mercy and grace and go to heaven and spend eternity with him alongside of us. Stop and ask, what, how does God see that person? Maybe ask, ask what harm's been done to them. Maybe, maybe they couldn't help turning out like this. This coffee cup was probably made just a blank white coffee cup. Someone else put this awful orange and, and, and miserable tea on it. Who knows what person was, was born into a culture or into a household that raised them in anger and bitterness and sin and deceit. Who, maybe ask yourself, maybe that person's an addiction. How long have they been addicted and a slave to, to, to an urge they've had and they were introduced at a young age and they just hadn't been able to get out of it and now they've become a product of that addiction? Maybe ask, I wonder if that person's ever seen grace. I wonder if anyone's ever asked that person to come to church. They're used to being the person that's pushed away from church and judged by Christians. I wonder if that person's ever actually been invited. Never know. And you'll never know if you don't, if you don't stop and, 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 and be curious. So I challenge you guys, take that thought captive. Ask yourself, how am I showing favoritism and partiality in, the rest, in, in my life every single day? Who am I avoiding? Who am I ignoring? Who am I treating differently? Be curious, not furious. Just stop and ask yourself, how does God see that person? What has happened to that person? What can I do for that person? You'll never know what kind of a difference it can make in your life and in that person's life. How many people are missing out on the love of Jesus because we've been partial? Because we've just done something as simple as avoiding a conversation? That's why it's harmful. That's why it's destructive. We think it's not a big deal. It's just our opinion. People are missing out on salvation because of our partiality, because of our favoritism, because of our opinions. Here's the last thing he says in this verse. Four words, so encouraging, so powerful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You know what that means? If you're a person who's been judged, if you're a person who, like this Tennessee cup, has been viewed as trash, as no good, as, you know, I don't like that, I don't understand that, I don't want that anywhere near me, I don't want that in my house, I don't want that in my church, if you're that person, that's a lot of judgment over you, and I know it's had a, taken a toll on you, and you feel like you've lost your value, you feel like you have no place to belong, you feel like you have no direction, you feel like, like Christians are no different than the rest of the world. 
But guess what? God's mercy triumphs their judgment. While people are going to continue to judge you and continue to be partial against you, God's mercy will save you, will give you a sense of belonging, will give you value, will give you love, will give you mercy. He'll fulfill you. He'll give you the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, things that you've never had in your entire life. He'll give you something that no one else has ever been willing to give you. And even if the rest of the world is against you, God's mercy triumphs over the world's judgment. All you have to do is come to Him. The second thing it means is this. Maybe you're the person who's been doing the judging. You're sitting here and, and your eyes have been open like, oh my gosh, I've been really harsh to those, those, those kids or those people or, or that person who's my neighbor who I've been ignoring. I've purposely you know, sat in my car for an extra five minutes waiting for that, my neighbor to go inside so I didn't have to talk to him. And your eyes are kind of open. You're like, what the heck am I doing? God's mercy also triumphs over your judgment. You've been the person that's been harsh. You've been hateful. You've been rude. You've been, you've been the thing that's preventing those people from, from embracing the love of Jesus. But guess what? God's mercy for you will triumph your judgment. He can turn your harsh heart into a soft and kind and gentle heart. He can turn you into something that's so understanding and so quick to hear and slow to anger. God's mercy triumphs over any kind of judgment. We see right here, he's calling us out. We've taken this faith test. Who am I partial to? We need to move on from partiality. We need to forget favoritism. He tells us this is a big deal. This is not something to be taken lightly. This is not something that I can leave here and forget. And he tells us that we're different. We need to act like it. But the last encouragement, the most powerful part of all of this is that mercy triumphs over judgment. And right now, regardless of what we've done already today, regardless of what the rest of our life has looked like, whether we've been judged all our life or whether we've been judging all of our life or whether both, maybe we were judged and since we were judged and, and, and treated differently, we did that to other people as well. No matter what it is that your life looks like, God's mercy and love wants you. He can save you, he can redeem you, and he can fill you up. He can make you new. And so what I'm going to do today is this. First of all, I'm actually going to say a first prayer for us as a church, as Crossroads Church or anyone watching online. I'm going to say a prayer that God just does a work inside of our hearts. He opens up our eyes to see people, not as we see them through our partiality, but through his eyes because he values all. I'm going to say that prayer, and I just want you to receive it. Even if you're just watching at home right now, just if you will, just open up your hands and receive that prayer. The second prayer, I want you to pray with me, and it's this. It's for that mercy that triumphs over judgment to receive God's mercy and love, the love that Jesus spilled on the cross that saves you. That according to 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that makes us a new creation, that the old has passed away, that old judgment, that old anger, that old bitterness, that old life, that old hurt, that old pain is passed away. Behold, the new has come. According to John 3.16, the mercy that, that gets us into heaven. And if that's you, I want you to say that prayer with me and believe it and mean it and give your life to the Lord and watch how he changes your life and watch how you get to go through the gates of heaven when Jesus returns. First, right now, I want to pray over you guys. So if you will, just, just open your hands and receive this prayer. Father God, I pray over Crossroads Church. I pray over Christians in this world, across the United States of America, across the world, dear Lord. I pray that right now you do an inner work inside of us. I pray that as this world begins, begins to be even more engulfed in this cancel culture and this idea that, that it's about what I like and what I want and what I believe and that people who don't match that aren't of value, I pray that you, in the name of Jesus, condemn that and you open up our eyes to see people through your eyes, not through what we like and believe, but through what you do, which is you value everyone. I pray that you do a work inside of us. I pray that you call us out every day. You make us where you convict us. 
the moment that we start to be partial and judge others, that you call us out for it and you remind us of this moment. Pray that you do a work in us as Christians, that we are great ambassadors for you, that people see us, they see you. And right now, as we stay in this attitude of prayer in your home, if you're ready to say a prayer and receive that mercy that triumphs over judgment, if you're ready to make the commitment to just say, you know what, I just need a new life. I want to stop being bitter. or I want to stop being hurt by other people's judgment. Say this prayer with me. Say, Father God, I need you. Forgive me for everything I've done. Work inside of my heart. Take away my sins. Give me a new life. Open my eyes to see people the way you see people. Make me new. You are my God. I love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And if you said that prayer, that is the most powerful prayer that you can ever say, because guess what? You're forgiven, you're redeemed, and you now get to go to heaven. If you do that, we would love to celebrate with you and also walk alongside of you as you do that. So go to crossroadschurch.family, fill out the form. We're not going to harass you. We're not going to come to your door with a camera and say, hey, you're a Christian now. We're just going to contact you and make sure that you have any questions that you have answered, that we're able to give you a Bible if you need it. We're able to help you take some next steps, whatever it may be. Ultimately, we just want to celebrate with you and make sure that you're not having to do it alone. And we want to help you guys look through life, not with partiality, but with love and mercy. So guys, I love you. I cannot wait to see the difference that God makes in your life. Have a good day, and I'll see you next week at Crossroads.